multi-part to multi-parter. Hello, and welcome back to Tangent Space. I'm Brandon Anderson. And I'm John K. Hyas. So last time we were talking about immortality, and through the magic number of 300, the book Dune came up, uh, which is what the, the spice does to you, makes you live you know, around that long. Anyway, and we both remembered how much we love Dune, and how it's one of the most badass sci-fi things that ever happened. So it's how I learned the word pre-science. <laughs> pre-science. <laughs> okay. Somebody got that. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so today is all things Dune. Uh, you can talk about the movies, uh, miniseries, sequels. Uh, also, yeah, we both just rewatched the... Uh, what, when did this come out? 80s Dune? Uh, 70s? Yeah, like mid-80s, I think. David Lynch's Dune. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so which is, I don't know, a good starting point, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's a starting point. How about that? Yeah. Yeah, so that one's fresh in the brain. Fresher than the book, anyway, which I haven't read since college. Yeah, same. It's due for a reread, I think. Definitely. Yeah, so anyway, uh, what did you think? I, was this the first time you'd seen it, John? I had never seen um, anything Dune, like an actual movie or TV show, um, nor had I, don't think I even ever saw any clips or anything. Like, wow. this was totally, totally blank slate going in. Impressive. And yeah, if I would sum it up, I would say parts of it immediately made me want to reread the books and really get into yeah. them because Dune. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, other parts made me want to reevaluate a bit. I was like, wait, is this how I remember it? Is this because when I read it, I was right. younger and maybe I didn't pick up on certain themes? Or is it the movie interpretation? Um, yeah. So I definitely had mixed feelings. Certain things worked. Other things were just like, how did you make a movie? <laughs> An hour and a half, <laughs> two-hour movie of this giant, you know, story. Yeah. And expect that it would come out. <laughs> definitely. Especially having not read the book recently, like I had to look up some stuff and try to remember what was mm -hmm. really in the book and what wasn't. Uh, but there were plenty of changes. Uh, he did not hesitate to just like rewrite things to make it visual. Well, how about visuals then? Should we start there maybe? What were your sure. thoughts on the on the visuals? Oh yeah, okay. So I think this is one of the things that this movie has going for it. In general, it has a super cohesive art direction it has mm -hmm. this weird kind of believable decadent future and everyone's like so weirdly into their own style you know it's like a fashion yeah. show right but like <laughs> <laughs> right bizarro david lynch fashion show yeah but like it, it's kind of believable right like it's just an extremized fashion is like some kind of future normal society right like it yeah, and all the ships that were, like, square and, you know, they threw out all that, you know, sh spaceships were streamlined because that doesn't make any sense anyway. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that stuff was cool. I don't know. I think they did a good job with the 
you know, as far as you could with the actual sand and the worms and like fucking lightning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think for the most part, it was good. I'm pretty happy with the way it looks. Yeah, I think what you started off saying, which I saw, I did a little reading about people's opinions and stuff afterwards to kind of see how it was received. I would say visuals definitely one of the stronger points in that it nails, as you said, that kind of weirdness, like that Mm -hmm. difference, which you don't see in a lot of movies and sci-fi, right? It's hard for them to really come across as something different and unique and alien, which is something I think you get in things like, uh, like Fifth Element, maybe Valerian, um, that recent movie. Um, both by Luc Besson. So it's it's something that I think you don't see as much, and that kind of works, right? It makes you feel like it's, f- whatever, 10,000 years in the future and right. different, yeah. and that there's all these bizarro styles. It's just, like, normal for them in this world. And I think that works pretty well. It's definitely not, like, pretty in a typical aesthetic sense, right? They kind of lean into their odd colors and geometric shapes and all this stuff, but makes it feel different. So I think that works really well. I'd have to agree with that. For the most part, it gets... A lot of Dune special effects. Some of it's, it was a bit dated maybe even at the time, but, yeah. Yeah. you know, I'm, you can forgive that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just remembering the, like, shields and stuff, you know, the, the sort of square body shields that they have. Right, the kind of like, weird yeah, visual I mean, effect. Yeah, it, it looked bizarre, but actually, like, it was confusing, which is probably a benefit. Yeah. It, combat yeah anyway, you so don't get whatever. that yeah i was fine with it <laughs> and i'm laughing because of the pug <laughs> <laughs> like every yeah, time i try can. to conjure up an image of this movie i just see again picard, picard holding a pug <laughs> holding a pug <laughs> charging into battle <laughs> like i that, that cannot have been in the book right there was no mention of a pug I, I I mean I think I would remember something like that. Maybe there was some vague sense of animal something. I I don't remember that at all though. But yeah, who knows what yeah. I remember? Yeah. Okay. So anyway, that reminds me. I mean, we should probably do some sort of super brief summary in case someone at this point is like, "What the fuck is Dune?" <laughs> and have yeah, what the fuck is Dune? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So extremely brief summary of the book is that way in the future, human society has, like, a emperor that rules everybody and then a bunch of feudal houses that have, like, their own planets. And the only way to travel between planets is using the spice, which is the shit that gets mined on Dune. And it's... I mean, basically, we'll get into the effects later, but allows space travel uh, through its, like, mind-enhancing stuff. Anyway, and the whole plot is, like... Uh, there's some big political mover maneuver that they want to get rid of this one house to where the protagonist is. And so they make them go take over Dune, the operations of mining this spice from their like most horrible rivals. And they're supposed to, you know, want to do this, right? Cause it's beneficial to them. But all the while their rivals are planning to come and fuck them over. And also the emperor is going to help them. So it's like a, you know, sort of sucker punch uh, to destroy this house and anyway during this whole thing like the the young son of this house Atreides who is the product of this very long breeding line uh, by these special sect of people to produce some, some kind of superhuman 
actually turns out to be the superhuman and when he goes to dune the spice activates him and he turns into superman and like fucks everyone up and and they win (laughs) instead of getting sucker punched (laughs) (laughs) i think you really compress the story similarly to how it was done in the dune movie where it seems all grand and then everything happens in the last five minutes it doesn't make any sense (laughs) thanks job (laughs) ta-da Yep, it was just like that, except it was in the 80s, and I had a mustache, and we were doing cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) And people listened to us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, anyway, so that's the basic story. And there was no pug, and I don't know what prompted. I think maybe it must have been like David Lynch's personal dog. (laughs) I mean, someone's dog, right? It has to have been someone's dog. Like into battle. There's like a scene where they're charging into like battle against these dudes with flamethrowers on this alien planet, and Patrick Stewart spares one arm to hold like a football, this little royal pug. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so good. Um, Just to step back for a moment for people wondering, maybe besides just the movie, the book itself was like, it was very influential. considered one of the landmark works of sci-fi um similar to people like to compare it to like lord of the rings is like the standard of of that type of fantasy sci-fi often people turn to dune in the book series and and also as as i think maybe you got a hint from the plot like it involves a lot of politics involves religion technology um you know wars and relationships and it kind of is very expansive and deals with all these big themes which is what has made it very popular and has made it a very deep world to for people to explore yeah i think it might actually be the best-selling science fiction book ever anyway yeah you're right dune is like a hugely influential thing and the original series had six books um and i do remember reading you've read all six of those yeah back in the day but the yeah, I don't think any movie. Well, okay, so the David Lynch movie covered the first one only. I think there was a yeah, mini series of. later that covered like the first three, which are really closely knit. I think they have mm-hmm. like the same characters for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, I don't think anything's been made of the the subsequent ones. There's always plans, right, of like another one being made, another adaptation. Yeah. Um, maybe we could mention the first, one of the most famous ones. There was a documentary a few years ago mm. about this director Yodorovsky, I believe is his name, uh, who was going to create Dune before David Lynch's version. He had like Salvador Dali and Orson Welles and like Pink Floyd and like anyone, Sheesh. everyone. It was going to be bizarre, and it never got made. It would have been an, probably an amazing disaster in good and bad ways. Hmm. based on the documentary but they were real yeah. visionaries and a lot of that team of visual artists um was named hr geiger geiger yeah, uh, yeah went yeah, on a lot of the guy. a lot of the team yeah a lot of the hmm. team went on to create alien and other big sci-fi movies with like that kind of distinctive different visual look and right and style so they were very influential even though the movie didn't get made but that might be one of the other famous versions that people may have heard of mm-hmm yeah, um, Pink Floyd would have been cool. Though I do give credit that this David Lynch one had Toto. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, <laughs> not bad yeah, at I all. Think, 
That is one of the scenes in this movie I think it really, like, gets me, like, when the... It's all a bit rushed, right? But then when Paul first gets up on the worm, they have these mm-hmm. giant sandworms. It's, like, part of the whole dune ecology. They're these, like, 400-meter-long monster worms that live in the sand. Yeah. And destroy everybody and everything. Uh, but they actually are the ones that produce the spice. They're, like, connected to the production of it. Anyway, but the the desert people that Paul ends up hanging out with, like, ride them around. <laughs> this super secret right. thing. And there's this bit where Paul, like, captures his first one and then gets up on top of it with his, like, couple ropes. And fucking yep. electric guitars start. And, like... <laughs> yep. Dude, it's so badass. It's, like, <laughs> it's the high time of prog rock and sci-fi and yeah, all Pretty coming together. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Hmm. yeah what else I mean I guess yeah about this movie what else did they change I was yeah it was kind of strange that they oh fuck yeah we got to introduce the factions too yeah Mm -hmm. before I start talking about anything so another really good gem about Dune is that Frank Herbert was just like super humanist like he just believed humans had basically limitless potential mm-hmm. so there was a war when with ais so ais had sort of taken over and humans had risen up and fought back killed all the ais and this where dune starts was this like resulting society and right yeah and his talk about how that went was because humans are better than machines basically like we evolved these different specialities, like eh, these things called mentats in Dune, which are human computers. And they're basically someone who's trained to just like absorb all information, make crazy inference and stuff. Anyway, and he, I mean, he ba- makes out that they're like better than a computer. They have totally yoked their entire <laughs> billions of brain cells and. Yeah, and yeah, so stuff like that. Like, I think he really believed in our potential, which was pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so these factions that I'm, I'm talking about, like, are one the Mentats, and then there's another big important group called the Bene Gesserit, which are all female, and they have all these superpowers, like they can control their metabolism. They can like they can't be poisoned because they can like break it down consciously in their bodies um yeah all sorts of cool stuff yeah they call them truth sayers because they can like read the most subtle facial thing or whatever like you can't lie to them they have this thing called the voice which is one of my favorite things in the book Mm. yeah but they i mean it's hard to portray this in the movie right they show it as just kind of like your voice sounds funny and people must obey it right yeah, but the the take I had from the book was that they sort of read you, right? They're very good at reading people and like figured out your whole psychology in moments and then they phrased a a request or a statement or a suggestion in a way to hit this gap in your consciousness that it would like you'd act on it before you thought about it. Like it was mm-hmm. very just tailored to that person. So to me, it didn't sound any different in my head, but it definitely. Yeah, yeah. 
have to convey that in a movie <laughs> had somehow. Had to in a movie, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, geez, factions, man. Okay, so a few other more obscure ones, but the point I was trying to get to <laughs> was that they changed the the weirding way. Do you remember that? No, I remember the words. I don't remember specifics in the book. Yeah. Yeah, so in the movie, right, they had the thing that made House Atreides so dangerous and that got Paul's soldiers to be super strong was this thing called the Weirding Way. And in the movie, they portrayed it as, like, some kind of audio... Yeah, some voice weapon or something. Laser beam. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. like that you would shout. You basically key up, and it would blow things up <laughs> yeah like skyrim but yeah it was in just space like that, actually yeah <laughs> which actually i mean it paid off it was pretty cool at a couple points in the movie uh i totally didn't get it for a while like I, it took me a bunch of scenes when they're doing that to be like oh that's what they're doing it's like a voice enhancer they got like a megaphone and they're blowing people up by shouting at them yeah <laughs> what <laughs> what <laughs> I, don't, I, don't I don't exaggerate but, yeah that's definitely what happens but anyway there's a scene at the end when paul's being all triumphant where he just yells at this dude and like cracks the rock that he's standing on like without a megaphone yeah which is pretty sweet in the movie but it had nothing to do with what was in the book as far as i remember so what was what was in the book i don't remember uh yeah in the book the weirding way i think was just like almost teleportation you thought about being somewhere and you would just be there like you could move faster than people could see uh okay so like on a personal hand-to-hand combat style type yeah yeah and i think i don't know i mean i gotta read the book again but like that seems wrong too like because there wasn't much that herbert would say that was like straight supernatural yeah but it could be it could have been phrased in a way like a way of deception or you know yeah. a way of moving that you know someone doesn't can't keep up with or realize right where you're it, going and what's happening like the voice, right it right? can like seem like move, right it would yeah. seem that way yeah all right let's say that's what it is yeah so that was changed yeah, there's a few other like biggish changes i think but well that one thing i picked up on and i that was one of the things that made me want to go back maybe the books to see mm-hmm how i remember the role play but in the movie the female characters are all downplayed significantly right like mm. some of them like chani wasn't who's the the love interest and kind of paul the protagonist kind of connection with the with the the people the natives of dune and everything like she plays a very little role in the movie and mm. she's kind of a love interest and like a you know in service to the male protagonist yeah same even with like his mother and the other Bene Gesserit people which i mean maybe it's just a what was compressed and cut out of the movie but it became very male-centric throughout and i don't Mm. remember that necessarily being true in the book but i didn't read it at a time where i think i was as aware of those right kind of male-centric style of a lot of writing well it i don't know i mean it's kind of a shame too because i felt like it was really progressive in a lot of ways on that front yeah i mean the the bene Gesserit for one were like this hugely important influential part of society right right? like they were super respected like had a unique 
skills and we're Mm -hmm. more capable than basically everyone else at everything. Yeah. 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 I I don't know how much of that was in the kind of general mythology in the book, but in the movie it's portrayed as, you know, the women have in this kind of religion organization, right? They have these powers and they do all these kind of, um, you know, uh, breeding lines and trying to develop this, but their savior, the Messiah has to be a man. Yeah. When he does it, he unlocks the full potential of this. I don't remember how that was. I think that generally that was kind of the situation in the book, but I don't know if there's other nuance or, yeah. you know, some part of it. Yeah. But that stuck out a lot in the movie because it's just compressed and boiled down to a couple of sentences about the prophecy right. and, and that. So you kind of lose maybe the depth that, that would have been in there. But, okay, but then to come back, like, in the movie and then mm-hmm. developed later in the books, Paul's sister, his younger sister, is uh-huh. also, like, a supreme being kind of special wow. power thing, at least the way they portray her in the end of the movie, right? That's kind of another, on yeah. another level type human or yeah. other being. But I don't remember how that developed in the book. There was no. something there, but... Yeah, okay. So, yeah, let's talk about what happened, I guess. That's the main main storyline so so yeah <laughs> paul like all right so in general what the the superest power or whatever the secret superest power of the Bene Gesserits is that at some point they become a reverend mother they like get the next level and to do this they drink the water of life so it's like poison that comes from the mm-hmm. worms and they have to metabolize it or die. Right. So, but when they do that, they like connect to their race memory. And every Reverend mother has the memories of like every female ancestor, I think that she ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she becomes hyper wisdom, like Legion type of mega entity after that. So what Paul does is something like that. Uh, so his big transformation is to take the water of life also, which no man had ever at this point survived. And he was going to do something that like the women couldn't do like during this process. And what it gave to him was the prescience, the prescience, the prescience. <laughs> yeah. So he, Paul was able to see the, entire universe more or less as it was at this moment and therefore like run it forward in his brain like he knew what everything was at a state and so he could project forward and see what was going to happen in the future Mm -hmm. anyway but it was it had some limits like there were nodes and kind of shadows and stuff that he couldn't see past Mm -hmm. in the future but for the most part yeah he was totally clairvoyant like that was his superpower and everything he did from that point on when he took the water of life was like all part of this plan because he saw something deep into the future that he wanted to fix right yeah involved some genocide and things like that yeah as i recall (laughs) which i mean yeah personally i mean it was he had to keep his house alive but also he wanted to do the jihad again like, it was Paul's big goal to get humanity mixed up again. Like, yeah. it had gotten... Break some real, eggs to make that omelet. Yeah, it had gotten really stale. Uh, it had all these breeding lines and whatnot, and, like, no one was allowed to breed between houses and stuff. And 
like to him the genes like everyone's genetics were crying out to be mixed up and that meant just some crazy all out mega war orgy (laughs) 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 yeah it was what humanity needed and that's what he got going Anyway, he does some badass things. I think in the second or third book with his uh, prescience, like, I can't remember which one, he gets, like, some huge bomb goes off, like a nuclear thing nearby. Right, I do remember this. fucking melts his eyeballs. It's like one of the side effects of this type of radiation. It melts his eyeballs out of his head, but it doesn't phase him at all because he sees the future. So now he just relies on his future sight as regular sight. (laughs) Like, yeah, it's. I remember that. That was pretty amazing. Turning point must have been. Must have been like shit. the second book. Yeah. All right, we were talking about Matrix all the time last episode, but that really reminded me of this in the third Matrix when Neo gets his right. eyes burned, right? And he right. could still see. Yep. It was like just like that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and that's something the the David Lynch movie at least doesn't really. I mean, it'd be hard to portray, and it also just didn't have the time to do that, that his power was that, rather than making it rain and splitting rocks with his <laughs> his sweet-ass singing voice. <laughs> I'm just going to yell that at the next person that argues with me. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's a hard power to explain, that's for sure. I think they tried in the on the mini series. TV series. Yeah, but yeah, it's still tough. Still a bit clunky trying to show it. Yeah. Anyway, so that's I mean the main storyline too, like I think even beyond the jihad, he saw he was going to have a son as well. Uh mm-hmm. Lado, I think his name was, and his son I think has the prescience too. And he also sees this crazy future that he's got to stop. And so he, like, goes out into the desert and attaches a bunch of, like, baby sandworms to his skin. Do you remember this? (laughs) No, I don't think so. It sounds like some sort of, you know, facial cleanse. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. The best one. Yeah. He attaches them, (laughs) covers his whole body. So he's now, like, got this armor of living sandworms. And he comes back and declares to everybody, like, he's God now. Deal with it. If you don't believe me, try to kill me. And so, like, everyone tries to kill him, and they can't. And then, so, like, oh, okay, I guess you're God then. Uh, and he takes over humanity, like, becomes the God Emperor. And I thought that was still Paul. No, that's his son. No? Yeah, Paul just, like, but goes does... off into the desert and disappears at some point after he's blind. Yeah, yeah. so anyway, his son turns into this giant... Like, the worms keep growing into him, and he just grows into, like, a giant half-man, half-sandworm. Like a sandworm with a man face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember that cover. Yeah, the, and he the book takes edition. over and, like, just becomes this tyrant. He's basically a dick to everybody. Like, won't let him do anything. He chokes off all the spice production so no one can go anywhere. And he, like just basically keeps humanity under his heel for like 5,000 years. And this goes on and on. And he's like, everyone, no one gets why the fuck he's doing this. <laughs> uh, but then in like 
this is very Frank Herbert style. Like there's like one paragraph in some later books where he just drops this bomb of what the point of all that was in just one paragraph and then never mentions it again. <laughs> like <laughs> I think and anyway, he says basically Leto saw the future too and he saw that the machines uh, were going to come back. The AIs were going to come back and they were going to have prescience too. We're going to have prescient machines and they were going to be unstoppable. They were going to fuck up humanity and come back with a vengeance like because they could see the future and we couldn't deal with that. And so what he did was do the breeding program in secret while he had these 5,000 year reign and bred humans that couldn't be seen by prescience. Like they were I do like remember whole, this part. I do you remember the breeding program? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So his final product was people that were invisible to future sight. And so that mm. way it would be safe from the machines. And also the double thing was that since he squashed humanity for so long, when he finally died, humanity just like exploded. Like they were like, let's get right. the hell out of Dodge. And they just spread over the whole universe. Right. Uh, and that was his way of like ensuring our survival against the machines. <laughs> yeah, and that was, that was just like a one. A little bit messy, but like, it works. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I do remember. I do remember that part. Yeah, I had forgotten that Paul goes off in the desert, mm-hmm. blinded. Yeah. And, but there was still some connection with, because right when he was it when he first became blinded, I think I remember the scene right that he starts seeing through his sister's eyes. Like he sees through, she's like a baby, like in a crib or something. Yeah. I think I remember like when that happens, he can see through her because they have this connection. Uh, yeah, right. I remember before something he gets about off that, your side. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. I don't remember. Were there other hints about what happened with him later on because there was a connection, or I don't remember. I'd have to reread those. I'm pretty sure he died, but I don't. I don't know that anyone knows exactly how. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and his stuff with his sister was extra weird. Like she was um, <clears throat> kind of a freak. Like oh, super freak. Yeah, <laughs> super freaky. <laughs> the kind of girls you read about. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, we did. Yep. Uh, she her problem was that she got the water of life when her mom did it. Yeah, she was a fetus when the water of life hit, and it made her get the race memory while she wasn't even born yet. So she never really became her own person. She was just like a weird puppet of a ton of dead people. Yeah, and eventually, I think in the second or third book, she like goes crazy because of it. Yeah, well, that's understandable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, anyway, the I'm just trying to remember what happened in the other books. Uh the real later books after It's about the sex ninjas that I never yeah. got to read about. Exactly. You really should go. <laughs> sex ninjas I'll be the... home soon, I'll see. It's the right Is that word. book four? Uh five, I think. So it goes up to God oh, Emperor. Maybe that's why. Okay. And then Yeah, it's like heretics and then chapter house. And it's all about the like okay. future of the Bene Gesserit. Like they had mm. some of Yeah, them, I haven't read those couple. Yeah, they like disappeared off along with everyone else into the whole universe. 
and then like evolved separately and came back as sex ninjas. I can't remember what they call themselves, but like they, <laughs> not sex ninjas apparently. No, but they basically their whole deal was they bond with you by having sex, but like they do it so well that if you have sex with one ever, you're like enslaved to them. You're like their thrall forever. <laughs> and so there's that, and they only kill people with their feet. That's definitely a fetish. I, I, that's what I felt was happening. We were just like getting into Frank Herbert's personal life, like Jesus more Christ. and more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, which yeah, I, I don't. There, I don't know if he was trying to make any grand points or just kind of following the like world he had set up at this point. Yeah, that does make me want to investigate what like f- feminist. Um, interpretations are of dune because when you summarize certain things like that right it just sounds like yeah. the stereotype of like women have this power to control through sex and through their body yeah. they don't have the real power that a man would have by having those abilities also yeah right when you boil it down to that is that what it comes out to be or is it because when you boil it down we miss the nuance and the depth yeah right <laughs> or do we just latch onto those parts because it's easier to understand than some bigger idea yeah, it does sound bad or, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, there's also nothing wrong with that, too, right? You can, there is idea of interpretation, right? That if you, oh, right. Mm-hmm. right, you're not just someone who can use their, your sex and your physical right. body, right? But that's, can empower you and you can use that for your own aims if it's not part of, yeah. you know. There is a bit of symmetry here, though, which is that I think at the end of the last book, there's a dude. <laughs> oh, fuck. Is it Duncan? It might be. So there's this guy. Oh my god, that guy never dies, huh? There's this guy who. Uh, this has been a real long time again, but he's in the original book. He's just like some schmo in House of Trades, like um, master security arms guy or, or something. something. Yeah. yeah, and he like gets killed <laughs> during this like Arrakis battle or I forget what. And I think Leto brings him back, like has him cloned or something. Yeah, always yeah. like. Yeah, and for like his over five thousand year again. range, yeah, he just keeps bringing Duncan back, and like Duncan keeps realizing that this is bullshit, and then like go like he'll attack Leto, and then Leto's like, "God damn it!" and it has to like squash him. <laughs> He's a giant worm. He's like, "I lost another one. Bring me a new Duncan." Like, <laughs> which is also ridiculous because he knows this is going to happen every time, right? Like, yeah, it's he knows so the future. Funny, what a bizarre relationship they have. Anyway, so Duncan lasts like a jillion years, like new versions of him. And, ever, like, humanity evolves past him. They, everyone becomes more badass, and he's just still lame old, like, 5,000-year-old primitive Duncan. <laughs> and Neanderthal like, amongst men. Yeah, yeah. and then finally they upgrade him. And I forget they do some shit to him. He may be, like, maybe partly a Mentat, or maybe there was some other character. Uh, yeah, that but sounds... I'm pretty sure at the end, when the sex ninjas show up, I think it may be Duncan who, like becomes a male sex ninja <laughs> he he's like the uh what was that word god damn it for the savior kazak wazirid or something <laughs> the, the benny desert like savior but he's like the sex ninja version yeah he is <laughs> the kuizat's hadarak yeah anyway so he yeah <laughs> he yeah there's like some main 
Amazonian badass lady, sex ninja, and then like she tries her sex wiles on Duncan, and Duncan tries his sex wiles on her, and they just like cancel out and become like the perfect couple. <laughs> Is Duncan finally happy? I believe so. I think everyone. Oh, nice. Okay. It was all just a love story in the end. <laughs> oh, awesome. Awesome. I would like to think that there is someone special in Frank's life that he was thinking about when he wrote this. Mm. Yeah. So that happens. It's a never ending well of weirdness for sure. This world. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely can't, can't knock it for not having, has plenty of creativity. Yeah. And that's, uh, maybe we should link to this article, which I think I sent you, right, about how Dune being, like, the last or one of the few fandoms that hasn't been exploited, hasn't become, like, Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, hasn't had, like, a big successful movie franchise or Mm. TV franchise. It's had these one-offs, which have been niche at best, right, and mixed reviews. And so it's not one where it's popular, but mostly in genre, perhaps. And it's not something that, has become into the mainstream in the same way as a Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, right. even though it's as influential in many ways. But yeah, that was kind of interesting. That's never huh. made it like that. It's remained kind of pure in a sense. These books, yeah, is basically all that you have. That's true. Yeah, I don't know. Movies have definitely got me into some books, and I like some adaptations. But something like Dune, it's just the scope is huge, and it's yeah. dude. There's so much. Got a lot going on. It's just. It's re- it'd be really hard to do well. Yeah, it's like all exposition. I really felt this like watching the David Lynch again. Like how much right. is devoted to just explaining what the fuck is going yeah. on. I felt that already. And it still was podcast. barely comprehensible. Yeah. It was still barely comprehensible even if you read the books. Yeah. I felt like that like already in like the first 20 minutes of this episode. I was just like, holy like, f- shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's right. way too much to get out. How do you out. get that there? Yeah. Impossible. You know, I still haven't finished his, um, Yodorovsky's, uh, he wrote this, this series or these couple of graphic novels called The Incel or In Cal. In Cal? In Cal? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of, I don't know, I just, I just stopped, I didn't finish, I'm like halfway through, but it's like mm-hmm. the, the forward of it. I probably mentioned this when I bought it to you, but, um, that the intro, the forward by, I forget, some other artist who wrote it was just complaining, sort of complaining, but in a praiseworthy way that everyone has ripped off this graphic novel hmm. that appears in like movies tv shows like everything yeah. and yeah so i haven't finished reading it so i haven't necessarily made all those connections but it was hmm. um interesting so yeah yodorovsky was i guess the writer and the artist is this french artist mobius gotcha yeah i'll have to check it out what were we talking about dune sex ninjas movies <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Trying to bring it back to Dune. I think I got all. What's the, your uh, What's your favorite part of Dune? Sandworms, blue eyes. All oh, the eyes, dude. That is badass. Yeah. No, but I did really like the Benny Gesserit. Like thinking about it, I really respect. Yeah, it, like the like, litany against fear yeah, and all those litanies. Dude, oh, fear is the mind killer. I, I have used that. Like, I have really thought that at points. Yeah, the like self control. I really that was like mm-hmm. influential to my personality. 
Yeah, in a very, as you were saying, very humanist kind of way. Mm. Yeah, they were pretty. Right, the power of the human mind, of self control, yeah, over. Dude. Oh yeah, like the Gamjabar dude, fucking so cool. Yeah, so mm. if, if, it, if someone doesn't remember, like that's this bit where uh, they first meet Paul, the this Reverend Mother, and they are seeing if he's maybe the super being. So they do this test on him that they only ever do to women. And they put your hand in a box and this box uh, you can't see in there and basically sets your hand on fire while they hold a a needle to your neck and say, if you pull your hand out of this box, I'm going to kill you with this poison needle. Yeah, because you're an animal. Yeah, if like if you're an animal, you will pull your hand out instinctively out of the box, even though you know better, right. and you will die. Right. So it's like, can you control your instincts? And and yeah. anyway, you hold it in a long time, and then it turns out it's all fake, like just weird nerve induction something. Mm-hmm. And your hand's fine. And, or suggestion. Yeah, exactly. And they anyway, that's their test to figure out if you're an animal or a human. Like, which is I I like love this about them too. Like they assume every person. Is an animal until proven otherwise. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Yeah, I wonder. That's a. I mean, probably a, a quick route to genocide IRL, but. <laughs> yeah, I think that's usually what you do. I right? assume anyone's not in your in group as an animal, and therefore you can kill them. <laughs> yeah. As an animal. But since they weren't all about that, I, I mean, it was still pretty interesting. It's concept. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, also, yeah, the I think they did a good job, too, thinking back. I mean, also the David Lynch did of this is the, like, decadence of the Harkonnens. Oh, yeah, they were yeah. pretty gross. They were <laughs> gross. Like, speaking last episode about, like, immortality and, like, how things can go horribly yeah. wrong, like, this is what I imagine, you know, like, people that are just have everything and got bored of everything conventional and it, they just oh got God. sick. So depraved. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's hard to watch, even now. Yeah, it's it's pretty gross. They def- that's what I'm saying, the visuals and some of the weirdness and otherness of a work like Dune comes across, at least in that version of the movie. Mm. Yeah, dude. Ugh, dude, yeah, Ugh. the heart plugs. That is the grossest thing I've ever Ugh. seen. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, what the fuck is that shit? When they bring Thufur, that cat, and they're like, we put a poison in you, and the only way you can live is every day you must milk this hairless cat for the antidote. <laughs> oh, my God. What? I forgot about that. <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> so disgusting. What? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, don't know where I'm going with that one. <laughs> So this is this episode ten, milking the hairless cat <laughs> for the antidote. <laughs> it sounds like a euphemism for a sex act. Yeah, it's true. Oh, yeah, not even a very good euphemism. That's true. Speaking of band, though, I remember seeing at a Warp tour in college. I forget what band did this, but there was like a punk band that covered the Dune theme. They cool. just played that shit like for twenty minutes, like this crazy Dune Toto theme. <laughs> like I remember being 
It was like the only thing I liked at this particular. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Although, yeah, I also saw a kid try to chug a bunch of Yoo-Hoo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. You know, there was a How'd booth. that go? This is probably not going to go on the podcast, but there was a booth at this Warp Tour where you were supposed to chug Yoo-Hoo and you would get a prize or something. And people would just throw up because it's milk, right? And you can't chug milk. And someone threw up into like a paper cup. They got some of it in a paper cup. And then then the like sponsor of this fucking booth was like, here, kid, hands it to this like 12-year-old boy. It was like, if you can drink this, you get a huge prize. And it was puke. It was puked up Yoo-Hoo. <laughs> because it was probably mostly Yoo-Hoo, probably, hopefully. Yeah, I don't think this kid understood what the hell it was. And anyway, tries to drink it and, of course, immediately also throws up. Like, <laughs> now we have some. So you get mass vomiting. Double throw up. Yeah. Oh, wow. <sighs> Wish I had not seen that. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Tangent Space Podcast. You can find us online at tangentspacepodcast.com. You can find our contact info there, email us, Twitter us, check out our Goodreads, uh, see what we're reading, some recommendations. Um, a link will be there and on the show notes. Hope you enjoyed riding the sandworm with us. <laughs> that's, that's too much. That's too much. Excuse me, I've got some sex ninjaing to do. <laughs> don't forget to milk that hairless cat for the antidote. Don't t- don't say we didn't warn you, because we warned you. There's an antidote. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I can top that. I'll just have to put it in. <laughs> This is Tangent Space Podcast reminding you to always tuck that pug high and tight when firing that flamethrower. <laughs> I hope Patrick I Stewart is listening. <laughs> oh, God. Patrick Stewart's listening. I think we've made it. <laughs>